A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What are we calling the podcast? Naughties but nice. Are we definitely calling it Naughties but nice? Um... I've been proposing things to you, haven't I? They've been shot down. Naughty but nice seems to be the. They're all. They all. They all sound quite camp. Is that just me? <laughs> but naughty is the camp word, isn't it? Naughty is a camp word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't have to be naughties. What could it be? Double O heaven. That's not camp. That's not camp at all. <laughs> <laughs> what about the decade? You know, the decade that you know. There's like other ways to put it. The decade where it all happened. Right, let's let, let's let Roberto do his... Yeah, but he's business. got to say what it is. What about decade, D-E-C-A-Y-D-E? <laughs> like, this was the decade that it went wrong. Or millennial. Millennial! You can use that, actually, if you want. You can't. We'd get sued. What, for me singing it? <laughs> yeah, we could do that, I suppose. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> what, are they, what else do they call it? The noughts? What if we could be, like, the something noughts? Ask... Astronauts. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, the la- lash lash astronauts. Astronauts. <laughs> if we just get pissed, they're out. Yeah. Did I tell you what my um my username is on chess.com? No. Grandmaster Lash six six six. That's quite good, isn't it? That is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is there a satanic element? Oh, it's just, <laughs> just the number I relate to. No, I just thought yeah. funny. That is Good. funny, yeah. Thanks. Um, um, the Naughties podcast is fine. I think that's the best one, to be honest. The, just the Naughties podcast? There isn't one? Yeah. Is there one already? I mean, that is what it is. And there isn't a podcast called the Naughties podcast. There isn't. There isn't. There isn't, no. There is now. I've got a bit of a confession to make. It's taken me a while to come to terms with it, but I think I'm ready to share it here. You see, the creative works that have made the biggest impact on me in in my life, you know, the ones I really remember the most, they haven't been plays or novels or philosophical texts, but they've been adverts. Bev? Kev? Bev? Kev? I am Alexander, founder of CompareTheMeerkat.com. Oh, terrific. The crowd love it. And so do the judges. Top bombing. That looks good. That looks very good. Yes! That's the hit of the whole fruit right there. Ha, ha, ha. 
Stick one in your mouth. <laughs> you know when you've been tangoed. My name is Rob Comber, and with my friends Sophie Donovan and Tom Pooley, we've been making a podcast that's all about growing up in the noughties. And in this episode, I want to invite you to join me as we take a deep dive into advertising from that decade and some of the people that made it. So without any further ado, let me introduce you to my friends and co-hosts. Hi and welcome to the Naughties podcast, a podcast that's all about Naughties culture and the people who made it. Uh, my name is Rob Comber and I'm here with my friends uh, Sophie Donovan. Hello. And Tom Pooley. Can I say something now? Yeah, you do, yeah. Hello. Well, yeah, he left a pregnant pause for you to fill. Yeah. Why is it hello? You going to say hello? I said hello, didn't I? Yeah, both saying hello. Hello. Yes. Affirmative. Hi, both. Hi to you both. Hi, both. Sounds like an email, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Hi, both. Hope this finds you well. I'm here to to tell you about the topic that we're going to cover today. Mm. Do you want to know what that is? Yes, yes very much so. I've got a, a bit of a confession to make. Juicy. Um, if that's all right. Yeah. If I'm honest with you, I really struggle to, if someone's like, oh, you know, what's your favourite line from a book? Or, you know, what's your favourite line from a film? Or <laughs> who's your favourite classical composer? What? Who's this dick that's asking you these questions? Yeah, that's an odd question. <laughs> these are some of, some of the dates I've been on. <laughs> you know, people, people are asking questions that, you know, are designed to elicit responses where you basically try and prove how much you've read or like all of the good films you've seen. Mm. I, I don't really have an answer to those questions mm. because all that's ever really at the forefront of my mind when I'm thinking about those things are adverts, <laughs> specifically adverts from the noughties. Like I feel like my reflex <clears throat> is just to think Bev Kev, sorry, no, <laughs> or HastingsDirect.com. So can I just, just clarify, to be clear, you're say on a date with someone and they ask you, what's your, what's your favorite classical composer? And you're just going, fuck Bev Kev. That's yeah, all I can I'm, think about. But are you hoping that Bevkev will sound like a sort of Russian composer and then you just get out of it? Bevkev. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. So, so that that's that's the that's the sort of the the predicament that I'm in. And right. um, obviously, us us doing this podcast about about the noughties, I thought, you know, maybe just coming to terms with this, talking about it, will provide I don't know some sort of like healing process that maybe will either enable me to to find some sort of common ground or accept it and move on and then maybe I could get into some more classical composers as a result so that's why I think this should be the topic for today's episode you feel like you're sort of by talking about it you can get it off your chest and then make brain space for more erudite things exactly exactly right so that's what we're doing today so shall I start by saying do either of you have a go-to favourite advert from the noughties? Mm. Not really. No. Right. To be honest with you, I kind of knew that this call with my so-called friends, Tom and Sophie, would fall on deaf ears. So I widened the search out a bit and lo and behold, I found a few others who think just like me. This is Stella Mertz, a TV producer now living in London. It brings two adverts to mind. And one of them was first on in 1999. So I don't know if we can talk about that. How would you feel about it? It was a series and it was the Jaffa Cakes uh, full moon, half moon 
total eclipse advert. Good morning, children. Good morning, miss. Full moon. Full moon. Half moon. Half moon. Mm. Total eclipse. Good. Uh, now, let's do it one more time. Full moon. And do you remember every time for the next, like, five or six years, maybe, reenacting that advert after when you had a Jaffa cake? For the next five or six years, Rob, I still do it now. Over 20 years later, I can't have a Jaffa cake without doing Half Moon Total Eclipse. It doesn't matter if I'm on my own. It doesn't matter if I'm... Well, I'm never in in the company of several bored children. Yeah, no, I, I still can't. I still can't stop. It's it will be with me forever. Every time I have a Jaffa cake, I think of this Northern Irish public health advert, which is forever stuck in my head. Which was encouraging walking, to get people off the sofa and out and about. This is Michael Lyons, who was a young advertising enthusiast growing up in Belfast in the noughties. And I feel like I want to sing it because it's stuck in my head. Go walking, that's what to do. Go walking, stepping out is good for you. Walking. And then it would go, it's good to walk at the end. Get on your feet. <laughs> go walking, that's what to do. Go walking. After my initial failing with my so-called friends, Tom and Sophie, I was pretty pleased when I found some other people still thinking about ads from the noughties. And it made me wonder what it was about advertising back then that made these things stick in our minds for so long. When you think of um, people who made their names from adverts in the noughties. Who do you think of? Um, Go on. Oh, the first person I thought of was, uh, uh, you know, Thierry Henry. He, he went on to have a, a huge career. Um, <laughs> off the back of Vava <laughs> The gorilla? Yeah. yeah. That's the all you need to advert. say. That's all you need to say, isn't it? The gorilla. Yeah, everyone, everyone knows who that is. Well, did the gorilla go on to do much after that? Well, good point. Please consider someone who actually made their name in an advert in the noughties and if I'll, I'll give you a clue i'm talking about cleaning products adverts for cleaning products uh barry scott yes correct yes and we've got barry scott on the line we've got barry scott on the line i spoke to barry <laughs> scott barry scott isn't his real name oh what is it what is what is his real name let me blow your mind just for one second his name is neil burgess who is a lovely guy he's an actor he came to it as anyone would come to to any acting role, I guess, you know, via his agent. He went through an audition audition <laughs> process um, and got given the role. So do you want to hear, hear a, bit of, um, a bit of Barry? I'd love to. Yes, please. I'm Neil Burgess. I'm an actor. I've been acting for, well, just over 30 years now. And uh, my career has uh, involved theatre, television, uh, film. But basically the thing that you will know me more than anything else is for playing Barry Scott in the Silic Bank commercials for the last 15 years. Hi, I'm Barry Scott and I'm here with Jill, who uses Silic Bank grime and lime. So Jill, what do you think? Well, Barry, I use it all over the house. It's great on lime scale. I think sparkles. Yes, Neil Burgess started playing the role of Barry Scott in the adverts for the cleaning product Silic Bang from 2005. And just like Jill, the nation really took to him. 
I was reading um, an interview with you where you were talking about how I think you were in New York and that, and you were in a bar and the person who owned the bar or worked there had a T-shirt with your face on it. That's that's right. He, he, he had uh, I'm Barry Scott or something like that on his T-shirt. And then as I walked into the bar, I thought, well, well, we could get some free drinks here. You know, he's, he's a Barry Scott fan. And I kept sort of <laughs> doing the, the Monty Python nudge, nudge, wink, wink at him all the way all the way through um, us being there. And we got some food and he was looking at me in a most peculiar way. And it was my picture on his T-shirt. He had no idea that it was me, but I thought he was just playing it cool and, and stuff like that. So basically um, I said to him at the end, I said, you, you know, that's that's me on your T-shirt. You realise that, don't you? And he said, I'll be honest with you, sir, I have no idea who Barry Scott is. My wife bought this T-shirt for me because my name is Barry Scott. <laughs> it was rather bizarre. But then he suddenly realised, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a picture of you. How bizarre. Did you get the free drinks? I didn't, know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But nice to meet another uh, another Barry Scott, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, it was nice to know that um, somehow this T-shirt had ended up in America. I don't know how, but, it, you know, the, the message had got across the Atlantic. <laughs> that the dirt can go. Exactly, that's right, yeah. Were you and the company, were you expecting it to become as popular as it did? I mean, was the initial agreement that you would just do one advertising campaign? So I was only contracted for one. But of course, as soon as it went on television, I was lucky to be around in the age of the internet. And that's what really catapulted it forward, accelerated it. You know, had this advert come out, came out in the 70s, when I was growing up, 70s and 80s, you only had one commercial television channel. Then that was ITV and then later Channel 4 and no internet. So I really don't know whether it would have um, planted itself in the psyche as much as it did then back in 2004. I'm surprised to hear him say that he thinks it's the internet that made the adverts that have lodged in the psyche. Yeah, I'd say he's wrong. I think in, in if I can speak up for Neil Burgess here, I'll play the role of Neil Burgess. Yeah. Okay. Um, hi! No, but that's your acting. Now you're Barry Scott. Oh, God, now I'm Barry Scott. Okay. <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to start by being Barry Scott and then I'll... If, You'll come out of the role. By using, by using okay. acting techniques, I will then take it down a peg to uh, Neil Burgess. Shall I say Neil scene? Or okay. I'll, go, I'll use to say scene then. Okay. No, after you've been... The scene is what you say at the end, Oh, what do you say at the beginning? Action. Action. Okay, do, do that bit then. Action. Hi, I'm Barry Scott. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. And scene. Right, okay, I'll do Neil Burgess now. I've... No, no, you're meant to do it straight away. Oh. We're doing a meta scene, aren't we? So um, he's, he's ended, right, scene. he's come off set, he's finished his Barry Scott, and now he's gone off <laughs> oh, into his life okay. as Neil Burgess, and now he's chatting. <laughs> yeah. I thought we were doing three roles, me, Neil and Barry, not just Neil and Barry. No, you're it's... not here anymore. Yeah, you don't exist, Rob. Okay, okay. Action. Hi, I'm Barry Scott. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. And scene. Okay, hi guys. Uh, <laughs> it's Neil here. What are you talking about? We're talking about you, actually. Weirdly, well, I just wanted to say that. Um, yeah, I think I think the internet did play a quite big role in it because there was at one point I actually got into the um, into the UK top forty singles chart with a song that was um, a Barry Scott remix song, which only became really sort of known through early internet viral videos and if you if you think about it youtube was actually created in 2004 
And that was sort of in the lifetime of Barry Scott. So there is an argument, I would say, to say that uh, Barry Scott was helped at least to a, to a certain degree by, uh, by the internet. You make a very compelling argument. Yeah, I'm convinced. Um, and see. So you're, just to be clear, so I'm back now. you're Rob now. Um, yeah, 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 I'm back. I wasn't aware that he'd had a hit single. Hi, Barry Scott here, asking whether you have problems with limescale, rust, ground in dirt. They're a challenge for some household cleaners, but not for silic bags. There was the, um, there's a kind of hardcore remix of Barry Scott as well. Have you heard that song? Well, no, not only did I hear it, I got uh, basically uh, the, the chap that did it, uh, he was only young. He, I, I got a phone call, this is way back in 2006, and he calls himself Jack Acid uh, with a Z. And uh, at that time, he was about 17 years old, and he'd taken that uh, sample to um, a record company called New Clues. And they, they phoned me up. And basically what they did was they wanted me to come down to the recording studio and actually do some samples, vocal samples, to put on top of that track. So I was actually involved in recording it. And I have to say, I, I never thought it's one of those things on a bucket list when you're younger, like, you know, being an astronaut and things like that. I always wanted to be in a band and have a... Uh, a hit, you know, be it, you know, a chart hit. And it, uh, that remix actually got to um, number 27 in the HMV chart. So like, something ticked off my bucket list I never thought would happen. So Neil, we spoke to Neil. He's one person who made their name in Naughty's advertising. Can you think of another person who really cut their teeth in Naughty's ads and... What if I was to say to you, who gives you extra? Who? 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 I'm Howard Brown, uh, formerly from the Halifax, but now I work full-time as a media professional. Howard was the face and the voice of the Halifax banking adverts from 2000 to 2008. You may remember some of his most notable productions, including this one. Ladies and gentlemen... Our from the Alifax. I'll give you extra in your pocket, Angel. More than other high street bankers pay, baby. My interest took off. I actually joined the organisation in uh, in '98. It was my dream to to work within the financial sector and to be eventually to become a branch manager. I was just working normally as a customer service advisor, and I was working my way up to a management level. Um, now, during the first 12 months of uh, my career starting with Halifax, um, they decided to change the way that they did their TV advertising. So they launched a new TV campaign, which involved uh, singing. And prior to me joining Halifax, I'd spent three years at uh, music college studying music in Birmingham, Solihull. So I was very musically inclined. That was always something that I always wanted to do, and it was something that I did uh, as a hobby. The fact that it was a, sort of a musical-style commercial, I thought, oh, this sounds good. So I, I just auditioned purely and simply for fun, um, and I didn't think for one moment that I'd be chosen. And, and what was what was the song? Did you have to sing a song in the, in the audition, I assume, today? Yeah, I did. I had to sing a version of Tom Jones's Sex Bomb. Um, now I'll be honest. I'm a big fan of Tom Jones, but at the time I didn't. I, I wasn't familiar with that song. And I remember going out to the old W. H. Smiths on the high street and getting a copy of it. And um, and I had sort of like two or three days to kind of learn this song. And so I went away and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And then um, I had an audition. 
And as I say, at that time, I just I just went along for a bit of fun. The song then became the advert song, right? The extra, extra, that one. It did. It was. Um, it's the song that's followed me everywhere I go, which is <laughs> which is great because you know it is a great song. And as I say, I'm a great fan of Tom Jones. So to get the opportunity to do my version of his song was <laughs> was fantastic. Extra, extra, I know you want more. Something extra when you walk through my door Extra, extra, though I cannot deny Terms and conditions apply it's easy to um, At that time, were you, were you juggling the demands of being the famous Howard Brown with being behind the counter? What had happened was that uh, I'd made the commercial. I came back after after taking a little bit of time off, went back uh, into Brandt's life, and it was just absolutely chaotic. Um, we just realised that it just was not going to work. Um, you know, we had situations where if I was in Branch, um, you know, we were, at, at that point we were having hundreds and hundreds of people coming in to the branches, and we just couldn't function. So I used to have to hide out the back. <laughs> You know, because, you know, people were um, wanting to see me and wanting to, to, to congratulate me and send autographs and photographs and all that kind of thing. So, and we tried that on a, on a, on a few occasions, but it just wasn't possible. The, the adverts, the, not just the Tom Jones song, but, you know, there was the Who Let the Dogs Out song and, and many, many other songs as well at the time. And they really sort of captured the, the hearts and the minds of, of the nation. Do you think that they, did it in a way that wouldn't be possible now because the nature of media is is so different. Back then, I mean, it was it was easy to kind of capture that kind of energy because first and foremost, it was a great period for music, and there was a lot of great catchy songs around at the time, and and people were generally a lot more happier. Um, and so what we did was we just basically took you know really popular songs, changed them a little bit, kept the energy, sort of trying to promote you know that feeling of of, of sort of wanting to get up in the day and wanting to have a great day. But it's it, it's all changed now. It's, it is a different dynamic now. So I, I suppose it, it would be a, a little bit um, different to try and capture that today. But um, you know it's 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 just the way things are. Things do change, don't they? Do you agree with him? Was it a happier time? It's a, it's a big claim, isn't it? Not for to me. Say that everyone was happy. No, not for me either. Look, we were not. teens. We were teens. We were we were deeply unhappy, weren't we? <laughs> exactly. And I think if, if any any person who enjoyed their teenage years is either lying or is a monster. But does he have a point though? Because he's talking about a time that was before the financial crash and before the pandemic. Bear in mind, I was speaking to him after the coronavirus pandemic. Sure. You know, if if you weren't a teenager at that time and you were a little bit older, maybe, um, maybe it was a happier time. I'm shocked by his claim that hundreds of people turned up to the branch. I'm not. They wanted to see him. Hundreds. I think if I lived in, which branch was he? He was Birmingham or is he Wolverhampton or where was he? Uh, he was in Birmingham. I would have gone. I banked with Halifax. I mean, I had a hundred pounds in my sort of, what, what would it have been called? Building society? No. Yeah, like a book, like a, a children's saver account. Yeah, I had £100. And I remember it had a little teddy bear on the front of my little book. I would have gone down if I was there. As someone who banked with the Halifax, do you feel that it did give you extra? Oh, um, I mean, it definitely gave me extra than you than you get now. My interest rate was prob- I probably, I probably earned, I don't know, a couple of pounds. Well, that's what's different from that. If you if you watch his Tom Jones advert, mm. he's singing about a current account that gives you four percent interest. Oh. I mean, that's absurd, isn't it? Four four percent interest. That is a happier time. Whether it was a happier time or not, 
there was actually one thing that did stand out as being quite different from these adverts when I watched them back. And this was something that came up in my chat with Stella Mertz, who you heard from at the beginning of the episode. My ultimate favourite advert ever is the 2002 advert for Old El Paso, where a man who now, that this man now plays um, Nick Tilsley in Coronation Street, um, he's, but he's not Nick Tilsley in this advert. And actually Nick Tilsley at the time was played by another actor, Adam Ricketts. Um, the man who will go on to play Nick Tilsley, though he doesn't know at this point, is uh, sautéing some peppers and chicken uh, with an old El Paso spice kit. And his partner is on the phone on the other side of the room and um, on the phone to what we assume is, is a girlfriend. And she says, uh, what, what are you making? And he says, oh, he's sort of reading off the packet, you know, chicken with a blend of aromatic spices. And she goes, do you get that? Aromatic spices. I'll call you tomorrow if I'm still alive. And I just, I think the thing that has really changed about adverts, this is a broader thing. I think the gendered nature of adverts is something that when you look back on adverts of this period, it sticks out so much that it's always, you know, this is a comedy advert because the man is doing the cooking. And it sticks out from the rest of the adverts where mum's washing clothes and mum is doing the housework. And so this is kind of notable. The gender landscape is so different now. It's very clear from looking at adverts from the time of, you know, how much of a reflection they are of the period. And although Howard says that it was a happier time, a happier period, it was also what we would describe as openly sexist period and there were a couple of adverts that um, that really do stand out. Do you know what they might be? Well, I do know because, well, I imagine that one is the Yorkies advert, which that is the most blatantly yeah. sexist, but, you know, attempting so to how does, how does So that one, how does that one go, Donny? Yorkie, it's not for girls. Like that? <laughs> That's, that's, exa- I mean, that's exactly how it is. I mean, that's, that's, that's absolutely bang on. I just remember it obviously very vividly because I wanted to eat Yorkies. And so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it got me riled up. The advert that we're talking about here and Sophie does a great job impersonating is for the chocolate bar Yorkie made by Nestle. Five big masculine chunks of chocolate. It's not for girls. The ad shows a woman dressed up as a man trying to go into a shop to buy a Yorkie and then being quizzed by the shop owner who is trying to identify whether or not she is indeed a man. Yorkie, please, mate. Oh, you want a Yorkie, do you? Yeah. You're <laughs> not a bad by any chance. You're having a laugh. Explain the offside rule, then. A player cannot be in an advanced position of the opponent's last defender when the ball is played. Open that. What kind of flowers are these? Purple. But yeah, so that, that's that's one advert I'm thinking of. The the other advert, does any any idea what was big in the noughties that we don't really have uh, now? Like as as men, what was marketed? Lads mags. Exactly. And lads mags. There are a few titans of the lad ma- lad mags game. You got nuts. You got zoo. You got FHM. Exactly. And the first of those that you mentioned had a a particularly sort of aggressive marketing campaign. Remember that? Yeah. Women. Don't expect any help on a Thursday. Was it a Thursday? Was it a Thursday? It was a Thursday, yeah. The, re- Thursday. the release day of the magazine Nuts. Yeah, Nuts was a magazine, a weekly... A, it also seems insane now that you would have 
a weekly magazine that was just specifically targeted at young men. And it wasn't the only weekly magazine specifically targeted at young men. No, the- it also had a, a like a main competitor called Zoo. Yeah, I mean, the range of options you had. It was a saturated market. Women, don't expect any help on a Thursday. Nuts, the new magazine for men, every Thursday. I know I said I didn't have any favourites of the decade, but the um, Eshaw advert, it is obviously the best advert of the decade. I don't know if, if you watched... Why is it the best advert? Can you remember what happens? Michael Winner. I just remember it being so annoying. So he's driving along in a car wearing a black suit, inexplicably in the middle of a sentence, it switches to him in a sort of beige, beige jacket. And he's saying, who would insure me? And he's looking out the window at some attractive women sort of standing at the side of the road and then he crashes into a car. And he's saying, no one's insuring me because I'm such pervert that I shouldn't be insured because <laughs> all I can do is look out the window at these women. It's so horrific. Calm down, dear. <laughs> it's a commercial. But to bring us back to Nuts and Yorkie, these were the two sexist adverts that really sort of stood out to me, or the adverts that seemed sexist by today's standards anyway, because it is important for us to say that at the time, the Advertising Standards Authority, which is the UK's advertising regulator, they didn't actually see any issue with them. Both were very successful for the companies that that commissioned them. But I spoke to two people behind um these adverts, the two creatives. First of all, Anthony Smith, one of the advertising creatives behind the Yorkie adverts. So uh, my name is Anthony Smith. I worked in advertising. I still do bits and bobs of freelance, but I primarily worked as a creative from about sort of 2000 for sort of about 10 years, I suppose, a little bit longer. I mean, when I heard the brief, I didn't, I don't think I even read the brief initially. I just knew the idea was that basically Yorkie was going to be made exclusively for blokes and it wasn't it wasn't to be for women anymore or something along those lines I'd heard. So what just immediately popped into my head was the um, Life of Brian scene, you know, with the um, the stoning scene with the women in the beards. Who threw that stone? Come on. Sorry, I thought we started. So I just thought, yeah, you could have disguised women trying to get Yorkie bars. And I, that popped into my head, and I basically just wrote a couple of scripts, one of which was um, a disguised woman goes into a newsagent wearing, you know, a moustache and whatever else, and um, asks for a Yorkie, and the shopkeeper's like, you're not a bird by any chance, are you, or a woman? I can't remember what it was. And she said, no, and it was like, well, explain the offside rule. And then it was, it was really just a comedy skit. With how you saw the product being marketed over the years, over, like, over the subsequent years that followed in the and the sort of the talk of sexism around the advert, were you, I don't know, less proud maybe of, of, what, of, of what you did or the work that you, that you did on it? I was, was quite open, actually, about the fact that I didn't come up with it. It's, you know, I, the strategy was not mine, you know. Mm. In terms of a wider perspective of whether people found it sexist or not, I mean, A, I really only thought of the bit I did, you know, the, the, the comedy sketches it was, really. And yeah. I, I still don't see that as being sexist. I just see it as a comedy routine. In hindsight, I can see how just having that slogan on bars, yes, can be sexist. And I've spoken to people actually who have, you know, that have surprised me by saying, yeah, I really didn't like that at the time. I thought that was really crass or really whatever. And I can see why. Yeah, I can. What do you think of what Anthony was saying anyway? He's kind of like, it was just a joke. 
but he's just very very happy that he he feels he's written a sort of a sketch he sees it as a comedy <laughs> a piece of comedy art i mean that's that sound very disparaging but he's obviously admitted to have ripped to have ripped off um monty python yes but nothing is created in a vacuum don <laughs> he's unwilling to see it as like something that's not just a laugh I don't, I don't necessarily think that ad is as damaging say as somewhere like women are being overly sexualized or whatever because i guess it is poking fun but it's so stereotypical maybe, maybe that's why it's all right because it's so ridiculous mm. his experiences were interesting when they're sort of compared with a guy called Paul Pateman, who I spoke to, who was uh, one of the creatives behind the Nuts magazine, Women Don't Expect Any Help on a, on a Thursday advert. Hello, my name's Paul Pateman. I was an advertising creative and then I was a creative director and then I had my own ad agency and then I got pneumonia and then I quit advertising and now I'm an illustrator. That's my whole life in... 27 seconds. So we were asked to pitch. So there were other agencies pitching and there were other teams within the agency pitching too. But when we got a hold of it, it wasn't, it didn't even have a name. And so we were sort of asked as part of our pitch process to kind of think of a name. We were really keen to sort of call it Shed Magazine, the place where men go to think. And when we first got the brief, I think it was going to be slightly well, slightly more sophisticated than it turned out to be. There's going to be all kinds of articles that would interest men and not just be about women in bikinis. And so that's when we started to think about this idea that it's so absorbing to a man that no matter what's going on around him, he won't want to put it down. It'd be completely engrossed in the magazine and then sort of extrapolating that out we sort of thought, well, what would be the consequences of a man being completely absorbed by his magazine? And that's when we hit upon the idea of, well, in a sort of a traditional kind of relationship between a man and a woman, those kind of uh, traditional male roles wouldn't be getting done because the guy's absorbed in the magazine. So let's do a joke about women just going, well, okay, you're not doing it, you lazy bastard, we'll get up and do it. But then failing, uh, and that's where uh, women don't expect any help on a Thursday came from. How do you how do you kind of feel about those adverts when you think back and reflect on that time? Well, this is interesting. I think um, I grew up in a working class traditional household. My mum was a housewife, my dad was a builder. And so we were sort of writing around the things that we saw at the time. You know, my mum doesn't know how to use power tools. My sister doesn't use, know how to use power tools. It was always the, the men that would do the work in my household. So, I mean, the interesting thing about it, it wasn't challenged. When we wrote the idea, you know, at the time, we had a CEO who was a woman, a managing director who was a woman, and it wasn't challenged. And there were a few complaints to the ASA and the ASA ruled that it wasn't sexist, that it was just kind of lighthearted fun. And the way I feel about it now is, I guess, on the one hand, I feel compelled to sort of defend the creativity in it and the humour in it because we were just writing what we knew at the time. And But I guess now with hindsight that you can see that if you give somebody a label, they can sometimes just grow into that label and the reason why I hadn't seen 
mum or my sister attempting any of these kind of so-called traditional male roles is because they weren't allowed that space to try those things out and so now with hindsight I guess I would say it's it's problematic because it was the adverts are not helping they're reinforcing the stereotype you know I, I sort of occasionally lecture around the country about my illustration work and I talk to illustration students but I always include advertising within those lectures because it's part of my story to get to getting where I am now but I never show the nuts work you know I think I've done much better work since then that I'm more proud of and I, I guess it's just the person who wrote those ads is not the person who's talking to you now so they just don't feel they don't feel relevant anymore that really kind of brings us to a close there with with Paul talking in a slightly reflective way about um about that advert so should we just should we talk about what we've learned from um this this journey through naughty's advertising howard's theory that it was a much happier time well you know it depends who you're talking about you know for women facing the brunt of misogyny it probably wasn't a happier time no no and things have things have really progressed since then on that front yeah just think just think about me shoveling down yorkies in the corner of the (laughs) Of the of the playground while you guys are over the other side reading your nuts magazines. Yeah. <laughs> and then looking looking across the playground and going, uh, hang on. She's eating a Yorkie. And kicking off. That's not for girls. And then running and kicking it out of your hands. <laughs> yeah. Kicking it out of my hands. I'm just imagining me grasping it with both hands, eating it double handed. <laughs> but that's inspiring to all of the all of the girls that would come after you because they would have they would have said, Well, actually, there's this one person who's stood up to that. <laughs> There's like, this year 10 girl. Who is, the, who is the, the Pankhurst of chocolate. Yeah, lots of year sevens huddle around saying, look at that girl. I hope we're like her one day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should probably make an apology at this point. Oh my God, what have you done? Do you remember the Sprite advert? Yeah. No, tell me. So there was a Sprite, got a grotesque little green creature. He put the money in the machine expecting a sprite to come out and a sprite goblin appears and it's this horrible green creature and for a long time in the noughties that was what i called rob <laughs> i called him the sprite goblin that was like a thing that i it, uh, just you know you're painting a picture of what you know because people can't see what we look like i don't want them to think that rob does it like the sprite goblin he doesn't well you do otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up well, I did say at the beginning that I wanted to sort of treat this as um, a way to to kind of move on from the past. Um, and I feel like, you know, being called the Sprite Goblin has really haunted me um, for a long time. <laughs> and that apology from you, Tom, which I appreciate from the bottom of my heart, just feels like a, feels like a lovely way to, mm. to move on from this Naughty's advertising obsession. You know what might be real closure? Is if we did another if we did another scene where Pooley, you call him the Sprite Goblin, and then Rob, you finally get to say something back, and then that is that's closure. Okay. This is sort of restorative I, justice type. Sorry, just as directed on, who am I playing? You're playing um, Tom Pooley. I'm playing myself. Okay. Okay, and so we're just going back to that moment, and Rob's going to finally get to say whatever he wants back to you. Okay. And that is going to be closure for him. He can put this chapter behind him. Okay. Okay. So, and action. Oi, Rob, you fucking sprite goblin. Uh, at least I don't look like Draco Malfoy. <laughs> <laughs> and-
Unseen. The Naughties Podcast is a Four Kicks production with original music from Coach Conrad. Many thanks to Howard Brown, Neil Burgess, Stella Mertz, Anthony Smith, Paul Pateman and Michael Lyons. If you want to get in touch, you can contact us at info at fourkicksproductions.com. And that's Four Kicks Productions with the number four. Next week, we're taking a trip to the Reading and Leeds festivals. See you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.